0: Morning, guys. Man, I, um, I, I so miss being all together, and I am just longing for the day that we can do that again. Uh, these definitely are really difficult times, right? They're really, really hard times that we're in, and because of that, I am I'm so thankful to God for Psalm 46, which is what we're looking at this morning, Psalm 46. Um, honestly, one of the things that I really love about the Bible is that it doesn't talk uh, when we read it, it doesn't talk about a different world than the world that we're living in. In other words, we don't read the Bible, and in reading it, we're trying to just, like, escape this world for a moment before we have to enter back into it. But when we read the Bible, it's always actually speaking into our world. It's talking about our world. We, we find ourselves in maybe places of ease or in places of crisis. And the Bible speaks to all these places. And if there was ever a chapter in the Psalms that speaks to us in the midst of crisis is Psalm 46. It's Psalm 46. And we clearly see that we are in the midst of crisis, aren't we? We're in the midst of crisis. Maybe this morning you're feeling really weak. You know, you're feeling exposed. You're feeling alone. You're feeling out of control. You might feel anxious. You might Just be angry and fearful, but God comes to you in this moment, you guys, to fix your eyes on reality, on what is real. This is not a moment of escape, this is a moment of reality. God doesn't come to us in Psalm 46 to take our eyes off of reality, but to place them on what is true, to fix our eyes on what's real. And in doing so, what God does for us this morning is He strengthens us and He comforts us. This is what He means to do. We could say that God is offering us food for the journey ahead or a pillow uh, to to, to lay our head at night. You know, He's offering us water in the midst of a desert. How so? Well, honestly, I think the English Puritan Matthew Henry uh, summed up Psalm 46 best when he said, This psalm. Encourages us to hope and trust in God and His power and providence and gracious presence with His church in the worst of times and directs us to give Him the glory of what He has done for us and what He will do. Guys, our psalm is broken up very clearly into these two different movements by this repeated refrain in verses 7 through 7 and 11, which says, The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the repeated refrain that breaks up our psalm. And in the midst of this crisis, you guys, what God is speaking to us in Psalm 46 is this, two things. That God, number one, that He is with us in the midst of our trouble. And number two, that He is God and we are not. That's what Psalm 46 is showing us. What is real in the midst of our crisis? That He is with us in the midst of our trouble See that in verses 1 through 7, and that He is God and we are not. So let's look at this first thing, that first of all, He is with us in the midst of our trouble. Let's read this in verses 1 through 7. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though, the, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. times of crisis, we get really pragmatic, don't we? we? We tend to just focus on what is. But what is? I mean, truly, what is? Well, we get clarity here, and if you're anything like me, you really want clarity right now. We're longing for clarity, aren't we? And we are given clarity here. The psalmist begins by telling us what is. Well, what is? He says, God is. These are the first two words in our psalm. God is. The psalmist starts with God, not his circumstances. As in moments of crisis, we truly want to face reality. If we truly want to face reality, we need to remember who God is and that he is. No matter what has happened, no matter what will happen, God is. He is. Every time we hear another news report, Every time we hear about another loss of life, every time another job is lost, God is. He is. Okay, but who is he? Well, there's a lot of powerful images in these seven verses that are kind of contrasting God in the world, and they're describing these wonderful things about God. And so I kind of just want us to, to kind of meditatively kind of walk through these things. And the first thing that we see who God is 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 that God is our refuge and strength, right? That's who God is. He is our refuge. This, this word refuge, it's a place of safety, you guys. It's, it's a place of security. In part, you can think of this picture here of God acting as a shelter. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a thunderstorm before, a massive thunderstorm, but, um, man, I really I uh, love thunderstorms. We, like, rarely ever get them here in Oregon. But growing up as a kid in Montana, we would get thunderstorms all the time, especially in late spring and throughout the hot summers. Now, if you've ever been caught in a thunderstorm before, what do you do when, when the thunder's rumbling and the rain is just dumping on you, what do you do? Well, you look for a shelter and you run to it. It could be anything. It could just be something that hangs over and provides just a small spot of dryness. And you run to that place and what do you do? You, you stop, you look out, and you watch as the storm just pounds the earth. It's loud, it's chaotic, but it's, it's really quite amazing because you sit there under that shelter and you are protected. You're not getting pounded as you're watching everything else around you pounded. That's the image that we see here. This is a picture of what God wants you to have as to who He is for you. He wants you to, to run to Him. He is a refuge, a place that you run to. And that you find security in. Further down in verse 7, we see a very similar image of who God is. What does it say? It says, He is our fortress. Now, that's actually a, kind of a bit different than the word refuge because a fortress is a, a really high tower. It's a, it's a place of unreachable height, meaning that no one can touch you in this place, okay? That, that's the idea here. It's a place that can't be reached, that can't be accessed. God is our impenetrable fortress, I mean, not even the great Tom Cruise of all the Mission Impossible movies could get to you in this kind of place. Do you know what I mean? Right? You know one of those mov- every single one of those movies presents an impossible mission that could never be done and, and buildings that could never be accessed or broken into, but every single time Tom somehow succeeds in getting in and proving that the mission wasn't impossible. But what God provides for us in being our fortress it can't be broken into. Not even Tom Cruise, right? When we hide ourselves in him, we are safe. That's the image. Well, so, so let me just ask you, what is it, guys, that you are seeking refuge in right now? In the midst of your crisis, what are you seeking refuge in? What are you seeking security in and, and, and shelter in, safety in? That's the words that we're thinking of here. As when the crisis hit, right? And in your circumstances even today, what do you shelter under, is your refuge simply just to try to escape your current reality? You, you self-medicate in some way. That's, that's your refuge right now. Just, i got to get through it and just try to distract myself enough, right? Is your, is your refuge in, in the government doing whatever it is that you hope they're going to do? Is, is your refuge in another person? Is your refuge in just getting busy and keeping a schedule and those kinds of things, right? Where do you find your security right now? God is our refuge and He is our strength as well, that's what we see. When you're weak, you don't need to strengthen yourself, you guys. You don't need just to get stronger yourself. God is your strength. He provides the strength, and, and we know that intuitively—it's a really difficult thing to explain, but when you've experienced God's strength, you know it. You read Corinthians and, and you hear the Apostle Paul say, when I am weak, then I am strong, And and you have these moments where you're like, I get that. I've experienced that. Guys, there's strength that we don't have that God only has, and he provides it. He provides it. It then says that in the next line, kind of summing it up here, that God is a very present help in trouble. This literally says, God has let himself be found as a present help. Guys, isn't this amazing, right? Right? God is not merely someone who has helped you in your past or promises to help you in the future. It says he is a very present help, like right now help for you and me. Right? This doesn't mean that he, he makes all of our troubles vanish, but it does mean that in the midst of our troubles, he doesn't vanish. That's what this is telling you and me. Right? how does this change our life? I mean, what difference does this make? Well, verse 2 tells us, doesn't it? It gives us a startling truth. It says, therefore, he means because this is true, because verse 1 is true, therefore, we will not fear. Our fear often creates bad illusions about who God is in our hearts, doesn't it? Right? But knowing who God is, therefore, we will not fear. Right. Keep in mind, you guys, the psalmist isn't in denial. Like real stuff, terrifying stuff is happening. Look at what what he's describing is happening. It's, it's, it's scary stuff. What does he say? Though the earth gives way. Oh my goodness, right? It's like the image of an earthquake, just the foundation coming out from under our feet. Have you ever been in an earthquake before? I I once was in an earthquake in Big Bear, California, at the epicenter in the middle of the night, 5.6 earthquake, right? Not even like a crazy, crazy big one, but being at the epicenter, it it was startling. I woke up in the middle of the night and no joke, it looked like the ground was an ocean wave. And granted, I have terrible vision and my contacts weren't in or whatever, but uh, still, it it was a very chaotic, unsettling, like terrifying moment because what is known is shifting underneath your feet. Here in these verses, all nature and its elements, they're unraveling, and yet we're told we won't fear even in something as cataclysmic as the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea, not just the beaches near the sea or in the, you know, the, the edges of the sea, the heart of the sea. Right, then we have turbulent waters here. I mean, we just go to the ocean, if we remember what that's even like at this point, and, and we catch a glimpse of the sea and we see how powerful the sea is Right, the, the earth here, guys, what is it doing? It's returning to chaos. This is like pre-creation kind of stuff almost happening here, right? The picture is upheaval. This is a, a Hollywood disaster movie. right? But do you see what he's doing, what the psalmist is doing? He's basically saying, let's take the worst possible scenario, like the, the worst case scenario that we could ever imagine, right? The earth giving everything, right? And and then let's throw verse 1 into that situation, and and whatever the most dreadful circumstances is, let's just think about that with verse 1 thrown in there, and then let's say, therefore, though blank, right, even if the worst things happen, we can say, God is our refuge. God is our refuge, because the world that we live in, you guys, it's His creation, isn't it? Right? He is greater, isn't He? Nothing that happens in this world is ultimate, you guys. God is ultimate. See, when you believe verse 1, you can just fill in the blank after though. Therefore though, fill in the blank, right? This would be an exciting quiz for us to take today, right? I know you're tired of online school, most likely, but this quiz can really change your life right now. So just just fill in this blank, right? We will not fear though blank. If verse 1 is true, Right? Verse one is true, and it is. But if it's true for you, we will not fear, though blank. Though I lose my job, right? We will not fear, though the economy just completely tanks. We will not fear, though there is a global pandemic, right? We will not fear, even if death stares us in the face or the death of a loved one, right? The psalmist doesn't deny reality. He acknowledges reality, guys, and we acknowledge reality. We mourn reality as well. We minister in reality, but we don't fear in the face of reality because of what verse 1 is telling us. There's even more to see here. The psalmist continues in verses 4 through 7, right? It talks about this this earthly chaos in those first few verses, and now we see, starting in verse 6, that this is being matched with this political chaos. It's not just seas that are raging— says there are nations that are raging. Literally, this is violent, uncontrollable anger. That's what this means, which we're definitely seeing that, aren't we? All right. The kingdoms of the earth are also told as being tottering, right? Which is literally the, the word of being unsteady. Just imagine a really drunk person trying to walk. That's the image of what these kingdoms that seem so secure and powerful are turning into. So in the psalmist's reality, not only is creation in chaos, but the powerful kingdoms And peoples of the earth are in chaos, yet in the midst of chaos, there is one who stands above all as someone who is forever stable, isn't he? Forever powerful that no one can rival. And it's not even close, because as God utters his mere voice, and the earth melts. The earth melts. I mean, just think about throwing snow on like a wood stove. Just gone, Right? The voice of God is like that heat. The earth is like the snow, right? This is a powerful image. Isn't this crazy that the voice of God, the one who created the world, can also bring it to nothing by his mere word? This is hard for us, man, because our words control seemingly nothing, right? I mean, I am reminded of this all the time as I tell my kids to eat their dinner or get ready for bed or do anything. It's just... My words seem to mean nothing most of the time unless I'm telling them to eat ice cream or, or whatever it is, right? As do you see in the midst of it all, the chaos of the raging waters in verse 3 and the, the raging and the tottering of the kingdoms of the earth, what is secure? Well, it's God, and what else? It's it's the city of God. Verse 4, we see it very secure. They They don't experience chaotic waters within its walls, but there is, told here, a river with a bunch of streams running off of it. That's what we see here in verse 4, right? See, one of the greatest fears in the ancient cities was what we see in verses 4 through 5 not happening, that the water supply would be cut off because water was the source of life for cities to actually thrive. But here we find in the city of God unending streams that refresh and replenish God's people even though there's chaos surrounding it. This is a really interesting picture. Can you name the river? The river that runs through the city of Jerusalem? Can you name it? I hope not because there isn't one, right? Jerusalem is on a hill. Well, what's the psalmist referring to then? It's not a literal river, is it? The river in scripture and the river here, it's a symbol, right? It's a symbol of life. That We see this most vividly in the last chapter of the Bible, this, this city, uh, the final ultimate city, heavenly city, has a, has a river flowing in the center of it that begins at the throne of God. And here in Psalm 46, the point is that the people of God in God's city—in other words, people who can say, God is my refuge, those are the people in this city, okay? These people have an inner source of life in the midst of chaos while the world is shaking and collapsing. Why is this city so secure? What's the big difference between these tottering nations and the city of God? Well, it's what verse 5 tells you, it's only because God only because God is with her. God lives here, just as he is in every single believer. God is with you in the midst of trouble. An exclamation point is even added here, right? We should be catching this theme. Verse 7, the God of hosts, the God of untold amounts of heavenly soldiers is with us. I kind of wonder if you're, you're feeling in this moment like God is distant from you. Right, you're feeling that? As we feel isolated and socially distanced from other people, I'm sure there's many of us who, if we could put it this way, feel like God has socially distanced from us. Right? Do you feel like that? You might feel like a, you're all alone in the midst of this trouble. But, but guys, the God of not just an army but armies is Emmanuel. He is God with you right now. That's what's real. If if you think, man, God couldn't be with me, why would God be with me? Like, you don't know me. All the things that I've done, God wouldn't want to be with me. We'll just look at who God is described as being the God of. It's the God of Jacob. Man, if you know, if you're thinking of anyone in the Bible who God should not be with, Jacob would be at the top of that list or near the top of that list, wouldn't he? I mean, Jacob is the one known as the manipulator and the truth twister and the guy who fears people and not God. I mean, Jacob wasn't an outstanding, you know, heavenly citizen on this earth kind of idea. Guys, this is a word of grace. That's what this is. The God of limitless power is with you. The God who takes up sinful people like you and me and becomes our strength, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Guys, do you see that this whole section is a massive contrast? The mountains move, the city of God doesn't. The kingdoms rage and just totter. God is firm and he is stable. Do you see clearly what is real right now? And I, I apologize for all the illustrations about my kids, but to be honest, it feels like they're the only human interaction I have these days. Anyways, um, our three-year-old daughter is, um, is someone we, we, call, we call her our baby. We call her our baby right, because she is our baby. She's the youngest of our four kids. And all I do is mainly see her these days around her siblings, which are older and bigger than her, or in comparison to me and my wife, you know. So she looks and feels like a baby to us. But then when I look at photos of maybe uh, the Kinzer's newborn child, or the Griffith's uh, newborn boy, or one just our friends in Corvallis who had a baby this week, you know, when I see pictures of him, you know, and I'm holding Isla, I'm becoming more aware that I call her my baby and she is, but in contrast, I'm seeing more clearly what a real baby actually is. Do, do, you, know, do you see what I'm saying here? Right? It's giving me that understanding, right? God, you guys, God is our reality. He is our reality. And when you see Him as your reality, it gives definition to the things that you fear. It gives greater definition to the things that you fear. We go, oh, that's a, that's a baby now. Yeah, I see that now. As we wake up every day of our lives right now to a lot of what-ifs, don't we? We wake up with what if this happens, what if that happens, what if this, right? And this psalm is calling us to change our what-ifs to even-ifs, to where we don't go, what if this happens, what if this happens? We are being confronted here with reality that causes us to go, even if this happens, God is. Even if this happens, God still is. That's, that's the call here. We will not fear, though, fill in the blank. So, so we are facing crisis, and we don't face our circumstances with wishful thinking. As Christians, we don't face it with looking for the silver lining or just the bright side of life. We face crisis by trusting God and knowing that He is the ultimate reality. And as you trust Him through your tears or through your problems or your anxieties, we remember that God is with us in our trouble. The final thing we see here though this morning, is not only that God is with us in our trouble, but that God is God and we are not you're not. Verses 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist begins here by saying, come with me. He says, come. Right? He kind of like takes our hand, and he says, come, come with me, behold, right? Which this is getting pretty practical here for us, isn't it? If God being a refuge is too vague, this is pretty practical, right? It says, behold. Again, this means look at this, right? With the eyes of your heart, check this out. Put this in front of your attention, or, or let this thing hold your attention. This word behold, you guys, is so important, and it means basically to look at something in depth long enough until you begin to understand the meaning of it. He's saying, come with me. Let's, let's look at this until we understand it. Right? What are we looking for? What are we looking at? It says what? The works of God. This is kind of challenging because we're told that we should be beholding the desolations that He has brought on the earth, that He has brought desolations, though, to those things that we thought were powerful. We're supposed to behold that. God's saving actions, things that were once powerful. The clearest example of this would be God's people in slavery in Egypt, whatever people thought were so powerful, Egypt, God proved was not, right? There's a ton of examples like this all over our lives. Guys, God is actively at work in this fallen world. His hands have never been off the controls. He works out His plan for His eternal kingdom. Not only does He bring desolations, guys, but we're also told here that He makes wars cease all the way across this globe. The weaponry described here is the weaponry of the Old Testament, isn't it, right? It's destroyed by God, why? Because it's, it's no longer needed. He's working in the present world right now to bring about his truer and better world where every tribe and tongue and nation gathers around the throne and worships his son, Jesus Christ, worships the son, worships his Christ, right? This is the way, the place we're all headed to. We are beholding here in these verses peace that is coming because everything that wars against God's rule now, it will be removed. And God will fully and finally establish his kingdom of perfect peace where Jesus is exercising his sovereign rule. And in light of that, as we look back on his cross, his triumph, through the cross and the empty grave, we can say right now, yes, the security of being in God's city, the security of being in His city, is that our King is the undisputed ruler of the universe. Right? We, we are beckoned here to come and behold what God has done and what God will do to, to, to stare at this. It's like looking through an old photo album. Right? Do you ever do that? You don't look through a photo album while you're on the run, right? You, you slow down, you sit down, and you, you open it up. Photos were those things back in the day you had to print and very material things, you know? We, we don't really do this much anymore. But old photo albums, you sit down and you, you flip through them and you, and you look at the pages. If I could put it this way, it's like we're being told here to come and take the photo album of God off the shelf and to pause and to stare at it. And to start from page one and kind of just consider all the things that God has done, beginning in Genesis all the way through the pages of the Bible, just to behold his faithfulness when God's people were continually unfaithful, he was faithful, to just stare at his grace for all people and how he continually saves and saves and saves and saves. And ultimately when we get to Jesus, we see the most extravagant grace and redemption as the Son of God himself pours out his life on the cross in our place, enduring His wrath, so that you and I could be found in Him. Well, We're staring at this photo album as we go through, and then we get to pages where we actually begin to see ourselves included in that album. We remember those times where we heard the good news of Jesus and we placed our faith or those times that God clearly spoke to us or really freed us from something that once entangled us and, and kind of held us back or we knew of his love or we knew of his grace and we think about our baptism. We could go on, right? We walk down memory lane with God. That's what this is calling you to do. But then I begin to look ahead in the photo album and I don't just find empty pages there, you guys. We've, we find a very clear picture at the end of this photo album that's already done. Look at the, look at the final photos. It sums it up in verse 10 and says what? It says, be still and know that I am God." This verse can be translated, lay down your arms. Be still and know that I am God. Lay down your arms. In other words, stop pretending that you are God. Stop pretending that you are God and that you should rule the world. Let God be God and recognize that He is. Right. This is the final photo in the album, right? This, this, this album of this world in crisis, what's going to be the end result? What's that final picture? God will be exalted. Where? In all the earth. That earth that's described as being in a complete upheaval earlier in our psalm. He will be exalted among the nations as well. What nations? Those nations that are described in our psalm as tottering and raging. God will be exalted everywhere. Right? There will be nowhere in the world right? Where God will not be exalted. He will be exalted in Gresham, you guys. He will be exalted in this place. It will happen. Like, just just think about that, right? He will be glorified. I mean, isn't this glorious? Isn't it liberating to know that you don't have to be God? It is so liberating to know that I don't have to be God. I don't have to rule the world. I don't have to have all the answers, whether in the realm of human affairs or in governing of nations or in dealing with all the problems of this life in this fallen world. God is God and He gives His people refreshment, vitality to go out into the world as His agents of His love and His grace. That's our call. God is at work right now in our affairs to establish His eternal kingdom. There is a day that's coming Right, that, that's, a, that's a day that's coming, but right now we live in this world that is fallen, isn't it? Where we are experiencing the effects of our sin, we are experiencing suffering, and we are reminded of the mortality and the fragility that we experience in these moments. Right? This is the future day, but right now you and I, we, we talk to each other and, and rightfully so, we say, man, I feel, I feel really weak, don't I? I feel really weak. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's really important in these times to consider what's really maybe going on, that our weakness is being experienced not in vain. I mean, just just consider Jesus. Remember the story he tells in Luke chapter 13 when he talks about the, the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell and collapsed upon them and people were trying to pin Jesus down and get him to say things that were trying to, you know, back him into a corner. And this is what he said. He says, do you think that these people were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Is that why they died? He says, no, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Jesus takes a picture of suffering and he says, the purpose of this right now is not to condemn these men as if they'd sinned, but to say, look at our mortality, look at your weakness. Have you repented? What Jesus is saying is that at these moments of suffering, it reminds us of our mortality in order that we would repent. Repent of what? Well, trying to play God in our lives. That's exactly what sin is in, isn't it? I mean, it's when I reject God and I say, I am going to live however I want, I decide I'm in control, and in these moments of crisis, you and I, guys, we feel our mortality. We see our inability to control things, and our response is either to be still and know that God is God and I am not, or I can get really angry. I can rage, just like the nations. Do, do you realize how our anger is almost always because we feel out of control, because our plans are being frustrated? As we, we know that control is an illusion. Isn't it? Right? It's, it's, it's birthed from a desire deep down of us wanting to be God and control everything. And this is the heart of sin. And so we must realize that even in a moment like ours, worse than a virus pandemic, you guys, we have a, a sin pandemic. And if we think that a global pandemic is the ultimate crisis, we will be mistaken when we get to that last day, the end of that photo album, and we realize that the ultimate crisis will pale in comparison to these ones. On that last day, when the disaster scenario becomes real, the book of Isaiah tells us that people will call out and ask that rocks would fall on them and hide them from the wrath of God. But, oh my goodness, you guys, there is another refuge that you and I can take refuge in on that last day other than rocks. God has come near nearer than you and I could ever dream or imagine. God has taken on flesh in Jesus, and He has known the suffering, the tottering, the raging, the darkness, the trouble of this world, and He's taken it head on. He has. He's embraced the sin and the suffering of this world, not just so that He would bring an end to this world, but so that when the final crisis faces us, we would find ourselves hidden in Him in order that we would be with Him in His new world. As this psalm is doing something very clearly to us, it's directing our eyes toward the crisis on the last day when all the kingdoms will totter and fall, when all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms under the rule of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. But There's only one city that lasts forever, and that's the city that comes down from above. There's only one shelter. There's only one refuge to fly to from the righteous wrath of God. There's only one tower of hope. There's only one sure refuge that you've run into Christ and that you hide yourself in Him on that last day. As in, on that last day, we will see what incredible Savior we have. And in looking ahead and seeing what an incredible Savior we will have, we know that we have that incredible Savior today. We have that same Refuge now. So right now, in our lesser moments of crisis, we have an invitation to do what? Verse 11, find him as our fortress. To realize that he is God and he will be exalted. Isn't this, sorry, isn't this amazing? He doesn't say to you in your trouble, I'll see you in eternity, you guys. He doesn't say that to you. He doesn't say, that's where I'll be with you. No, he's, he's with you now in your trouble to protect you, give you strength, and to deliver you. So what are you beholding these days? Are you, are you taking the psalmist's hand as he extends it with to you and, and, and walking with him to behold the works of God? I don't know about you, but I, I, I love driving around Gresham and those moments where you turn the corner and all of a sudden you just, you like see Mount Hood right there in, in all of its glory. It just seems to pop out of nowhere and, especially early on when I moved here, I would just kind of be taken away by its grandeur and beauty. And um, it would be the only thing I could see, you know, it's the only thing I could focus on. And so um, I was trying to focus on the road, but really, you know, the mountains just, it's right there. I remember even one day, it was was just such a beautiful scene and I was at a stoplight. And so I took a picture with my phone of it. and, And later on, I was looking at that photo. And it was pretty interesting because as I looked at that photo, I was like, man, all I could seem to see in the photo were the power lines. All I could seem to see was the buildings and the cars, and I was like, yeah, that's a pretty bad photo, I just deleted it. But it was really interesting because in the moment, I didn't see the power lines. I didn't see the buildings. I didn't didn't see the cars. I mean, I, I did, but you know what I mean, right? All I was focused on was the mountain, even though those things were there. I wasn't denying reality, but I was beholding something else. I was beholding something else. Guys, in crisis, we we behold God. We we come and behold God. And as we behold Him, we run to Him as our refuge. Martin Luther endured a lot of hardship in his life. And when he would endure hardship and face troubled times, he would often turn to his friend, Philip Philip Melanchthon, and he would say, Philip, Let's sing Psalm 46. said, Philip, let us sing forth the 46th Psalm. And they would. Every time they faced hardship, they go, let's, let's, let's sing that Psalm. Let's do that. Why? Because they're wanting to press themselves into the reality of what is real. What is real. He's the, the man who wrote the famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, which we sang together in our living rooms this morning. Are you singing this psalm right now in this season? Are you, are you feeling overwhelmed and out of control? Then sing this psalm. Right? It's talking about what's real. We, we face reality in light of this truth. We don't escape it. We, we thrive in it. There is a river in your soul that springs up into the midst of this drought that we find ourselves in. I mean, if you haven't really given your heart to God in this way, I bet this morning you're really thirsty, aren't you? And your thirst is manifesting itself in different ways, whether it's fear or despair or anger. It's like, it's like if, when you haven't drank water in a while and then you just catch a little sip of the water, you begin to realize how dehydrated you are and how thirsty you are and you guzzle down the whole glass or maybe you fill it up and pound another glass of water, that kind of thing. Right, we do that again and again. Just the taste of water reveals my dehydration. As this morning Jesus says to you and I, as we taste this psalm. It says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Hide yourself in me. Let me end by giving us this morning this benediction. It's my prayer for us as a church. It's from Colossians chapter 3. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Guys, may we be people who always remember that God is, that He is our refuge and strength and a very present help in your trouble right now. I pray we would run to Him this day and every day.